thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Exception with your host, Rachel Favilla. Hello, lovely ones, and welcome to The Healthy Exception, the podcast for teenagers choosing to be the healthy exception to the unhealthy rule. I'm your host, Rachel Favilla, and thank you so much for trusting me with your time and your ears today and for tuning in. And today on the show, I've got a very special guest with me. I've got Dr. Andrea Huddleston, who is a natural fertility specialist and integrative chiropractor from Fremantle in Perth. Um, She has a particular interest in hormonal function, the gut-brain axis, um, and especially in relation to how gut health impacts hormonal balance. Um, as well, she is a co-host of the award-winning podcast Wellness Women Radio and is affectionately affectionately referred to by her patients as the period whisperer, So, which I love. I think that's a great little catchphrase there. Um, and so I thought, well, as the period whisperer, I don't think I can think of anyone better to come on the show to talk to us about the con- oral contraceptive pill because I know that... You know, a lot of you listening are probably, if you're female, um, are probably taking um, this or guys, your girlfriends might be on this. Um, Mums, if you're listening, you or your daughters might be on this. And it's something that is just so common. It's just such a common medication that we're prescribed, be it for contraception or for um, irregular menstrual cycles, period pains, acne, um, all of that sort of stuff. And whilst it certainly has its seems to have its place and it's, Um, had a lot of benefits for a lot of people, there is sort of, I don't want to say a dark side to the pill, but this this side that often a lot of people don't even know about that I really want to bring out, like like I do with everything on the show, so that you're aware of it and you can weigh up the pros and the cons and make an informed decision about your health and what you choose to put into your body. So welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on today and giving up your Monday afternoon to talk to us. Oh, Rachel, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me, and hello to all your listeners as well. Um, the yeah, the nickname that I've earned, the, the period whisperers, uh, it's the strangest thing. Um, and when you say it to any men, because they're so literal, they kind of they think, <laughs> hang on a second, where are you whispering to? <laughs> oh. And they think of it in such a literal sense, which is just hilarious. So um, I was kind of labelled that uh, by one of my patients a while ago. It's now stuck. Um, I can't seem to get rid of it. Um, uh, and you know, it, I think it does describe quite well some of the stuff that we do, though. So yes, that is me. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. I had a um, a girl on here last year, and she called herself the poo whisperer. So you know, oh, yeah, awesome. yeah. I think I'd still rather be the period whisperer than that, though. <laughs> oh, oh, really? I think I'd rather go with the poo. The pre route, yeah. but there we go. <laughs> there you go. That, that shows our different values right there. Yeah. It does, it does, doesn't it? Um, anyway, good thing that you're on here to talk to us about the pill because I wouldn't have enough to say. Um, but I do have the questions. So I'll start with the first one. Um, if you could sort of set the scene and maybe talk about a bit about the history of the pill, like where did it come from? Why was it invented? What was its initial sort of function? I think that's a really good question. I think that that's a really good point to kind of preface this entire conversation with as well, because there's been a lot, there's always been controversy surrounding uh, the inception of it and its use. Um, However, originally it was, what was it originally designed for? It was designed for a contraception, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was this groundbreaking almost life-changing, um, you know, pharmaceutical drug that, that came in. Um, there was many, many clinical trials that started with it in the 50s and the 60s. And then once it was approved for contraceptive use uh, in the 1960s, it was a massive hit, like instantly, straight away within its first two years, there was over 100, and, sorry, there was over like 2 million people who were already taking it. And I think that this is a testament to the fact that for the first time in our living history, women got to make a conscious choice about whether or not they wanted to be childbearing. Mm. Uh, So it was originally approved for use for severe menstrual disorders. However, then it actually got that FDA approval to use it for contraceptive purposes. Um, And I think this is what really helped to shift that women's liberation movement as well because now they could take charge of their own fertility. 
which I think is absolutely amazing. The pill back then was quite different to what it is today. Um, there was lots and lots of things that happened um, in its, you know, the first 10 years essentially of its inception. Um, for example, a lot of women um, had horrendous side effects um, with things like blood clots, um, cardiovascular issues and heart attacks. Um, there was an increased incidence of stroke, depression, weight gain, loss of libido. Um, there was even Senate hearings um, about the safety and the efficacy of the pill. But because of how much freedom it gave women, there was no way that they were going to allow the production of that to stop. Um, so the pill that we have today, or and when I say pill, what I actually mean is any kind of hormonal contraception. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of painting everything with the same brush there, but I'm using the word that, you know, the oral contraceptive pill, the pill, is synonymous for any kind of hormonal contraception. So that is the combined pill, the mini pill, which is more progesterone-based rather mm-hmm. than estrogen and progesterone. It could be the implanon or the implant, um, the marina IUD, anything that is a hormonally producing instrument that's going to change a menstrual cycle. I'm just, you know, kind of yeah. accept that I'm using the word pill for that essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hormonal contraception that we have today um, is still principally the same, but they've refined it a little bit. However, it still comes with some very serious um, risks and side effects as well. Um, but that's kind of the inception of the pill. Okay, beautiful. Thank you. I think it is just important to give that context because we are going to be talking about some of the reasons it's maybe not so fantastic today, but I think it's important Uh, to talk about the the amazing um, advantage it's given women. You know, we've been able to rise up in the workforce because we're not always at home with kids because we're not pregnant and always reproducing and all of that like that. And it does have, you know, the benefit for um, taking some of the side effects of painful menstruation and stuff away. I think it's important to understand that it was it did start off as this really noble idea of empowering women it's just that maybe like you said we didn't necessarily think that next step about okay but this is changing physiology and is is there going to be ramifications there so um how exactly yeah dr andrew how exactly does um the pill work like what's its mechanism of action if you know i as a female if i'm taking it what's it doing to my body Oh, I love that you're asking that question because I think this is one thing that women don't think enough about. So if you're actually taking something that's going to affect menstruation, so affect your body's ability to ovulate, then pharmaceutically it's classed as what we call chemical castration. Now, that's a pretty heavy thing to get your head around. So when you're on hormonal contraceptive, that is chemical castration. So imagine what would happen if you were to castrate an animal. That would be a permanent process. <laughs> um, now, when you're doing a chemical version of that, for some women it is actually permanent, unfortunately. Um, you know, irrespective of how long they're taking that hormonal contraceptive for, it can change things to such a degree that they can't actually get a reproductive state back after that. That's rare, but it's still, you know, that's the class of drugs that we're talking about. Um, one thing that it does act on is actually the pituitary gland. So when you're taking the pill and you're affecting ovulation, you actually have to affect the brain because that's what controls ovulation. So it's affecting your follicular-stimulating hormone and your luteinizing hormone. And essentially, the most simplistic way to think about it is think like the pill is tricking your body into thinking that you're pregnant. Um, so, And that's why it ceases ovulation. Okay. So that, that's kind of the most, um, probably the easiest way to get your head around it. But uh, the thing that it does is it stops the body from ovulating for the most part. That's its, its most usual mechanism. In terms of, say, the Marina IUD, it creates a um, an environment that is impenetrable to sperm or does not allow for actual implantation of a fertilized egg. Um, but it just depends on, on the type of, uh, I guess, mechanism that it specifically works on. But just remember that if you're on the pill, it's actually affecting your brain chemistry as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Apart from that last little clause where you're like, oh, it's affecting the brain, that all sounded pretty good. It sort of sounds like, great, I can virtually do whatever I like and I'm going to be safe. I'm not going to be, you know, find myself in one of those teenage pregnancy situations. Um Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's certainly a very positive thing to think about. And I think that for women to be able to 
enjoy you know intimacy without the risk of getting pregnant un- like you know in an unwanted state I think mm-hmm. that is amazing but there's also so many other things that they can do to also help to prevent that um, yes. I do always caution women and particularly mothers of teenage girls to think about some of the consequences though apart from the health side effects for going on the pill yes mm-hmm. it seemingly might seem great um, yes. but think about the fact that a lot of teenage girls then get a false sense of security when they're on the pill. So, yes, it's going to prevent pregnancy in 98% of the cases. Yes, that's an effective form of contraception if they use it correctly. However, it's absolutely not going to protect them against any sexually transmitted infections or whatsoever. Um, and that is something that I certainly caution because you don't want to get that false sense of security and have unprotected sex at that age. No, and that, that's a really good point. And also going on from that, I was going to say, so that all sounds quite rosy and empowering, but you know, why, why are we doing this podcast today? Why, what are some of the things, why should we be concerned and not just go, oh, fantastic. I'm now sexually active or I'm thinking of being sexually active. So I need to take this or I've got painful periods. So I'm, my doctor's going to put me on this. What, what else should we be thinking about? What other effects is it having on not just our, um, reproductive system, but other body systems? Mm, and that's a really common thing um, that women will present with. So it might be painful periods. It might be a whole host of different um, symptoms. And the most common thing that happens is they'll trot off to their GP. And the easiest, quickest thing for them to do for women of reproductive ages is to put them on the oral contraceptive pill. Um, it does a really great job in a lot of cases for addressing, you know, it could be hormonal type acne. It could be heavy menstruation. It could be painful periods, um, irregular periods, those sorts of things. It does a really good job of that in most cases. Um, However, it's not actually addressing whatever the underlying causes of any of those symptoms are. And this is my biggest issue with the pill. And this is by no means a pill bashing session. No, 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 no. Um, No. Well, that's okay. Go ahead. This is uh, this, and exactly as you described in the intro, this is to give um, maybe a different take on some things that women don't commonly think enough about um, mm-hmm. when it comes to the pill because it's so common and it seems everybody's on it. Maybe there's not enough emphasis placed on some of the risks and the side effects as well. Absolutely. It's sort so, of like, would you sort of say it's a bit like antibiotics? Like, we go, oh, they're so incredible, they cleared up my infection and we're not going. I mean, yes, they're good and they're needed, but we're not going, yes, but there's a lot of ramifications of them it's that, and they're so common. Is that Could we make that same comparison? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. definitely. And just like with antibiotics, you know, someone might have a, a sore throat or what looks like tonsillitis or something like that and they'll just whack them on antibiotics, a, a you know, generalized strain of antibiotics that's not specific for that necessarily, you know, bacteria, if it even is a bacterial infection in the first place, when there's so many other mechanisms and factors that you're looking at. So, for example, if you've got that tonsillitis type symptomatology, that's the body and part of your immune defenses working well yeah (laughs) do you know what I mean so you've got these swollen glands you're feeling lethargic you might be a bit feverish that's a system that is working well um and it's I guess you could use that sort of similar kind of metaphor with with hormonal imbalances and the oral contraceptive pills so your body is giving you all of these signs and symptoms of all sorts of things that are going, that are happening. And I think that cycling women are so lucky because every month we get like a report card of what, what's happening with our life. <laughs> so the, the health of your period um, and the, the way that your body experiences that is factored on so many different things. It's obviously how balanced your hormones are, what your gut health is like, what your stress levels are like, how your immune system's functioning, what your adrenals are doing. You know, it's it's such a good report card each month that you get to then reflect on and go, okay, how have I taken care of myself, you know, this month or over the last six months or whatever it might be. Um, so when women have some of these things like painful periods, um, it might be some hormonal acne, irregular periods, could be really, really heavy periods, 
um, or anything along that hormonal imbalance spectrum. Um, and, you know, for some of my patients that I've seen this, just a couple of little examples, um, you know, I had a patient who bled every single day for two years um, or I had another patient who didn't have her period for two years. She was, you know, completely um, sort of – she didn't ovulate and a few other things for, for an entire two-year period. And that those are just – you know, a very quick example of some things that come to mind. All of those are signs of hormonal imbalance. <laughs> so women get very good at dismissing their symptoms and we get taught that we are meant to suffer. <laughs> and I mean that by the fact that if you do have really severe period pain and you go to the doctor, often you're told, oh, you've drawn the short straw, you're unlucky, mm-hmm. suck it up, here's your pill take some medication and off you go. Um, We are taught that all of these processes are supposed to cause us pain and suffering and nothing could be further from the truth. A normal period is no symptoms whatsoever. Mm. And that is so, like, that is not what we often think about. Like, there's so many memes out there about, oh, like, she's on her period or, you know, like, stay away or she's going to be on the chocolate, like, you know, we just yeah. we just go, oh, that's what women have to do. Men just take cover for that week and then she'll be right for the next three. And, you know, that's sort of what – and, you know, I just remember at high school, um, I, I'm a very late developer, so it wasn't so much with me. I was usually, like, hanging out with the guys whenever, you know, my group of friends were on their periods sort of thing <laughs> because they would just – they would change and they turn into, like, these lionesses almost. And that's – but I guess we just sort of joke about that and laugh it off and don't think, hang on, what – like really like if this is a natural thing why should like why would women have to suffer one week out of every single month like it just doesn't make sense but we it's again it's become common just like the pill has become common we don't question it exactly and and that's a really scary factor and unfortunately all the wonderful men in our life usually suffer alongside us and it's hilarious um speaking to a woman and she's saying oh yeah you know my pms has been quite bad for the last two weeks i've been a bit of a monster but then you look at her partner and he's like nodding and like (laughs) absolutely agreeing and he's got like you can see the white of his eyes and he's like life has been hell for the last two weeks but then as soon as they get their period it's like flicking a switch right? Then everything's rosy again. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and women are not supposed to turn into monsters for, you know, two weeks or a week of the month. It's just, these are all signs of hormonal imbalance. And when you go and you put yourself on the pill, this is not fixing any imbalance. It's putting a bandaid over it. It's taking your own hormones offline. So it's like the warning light on your, say your oil warning light on your car. Mm. <laughs> There's no amount of, you know, ignoring the light, unscrewing the bulb, anything like that that's going to fix it unless you address what that problem is in the first place. Um, and this is my problem with the pill is that no matter what your symptomatology, the pill is now this wonder drug for absolutely everything. So if you get hormonal acne, you're put on the pill. Um, if you get painful periods, you put on the pill. If you've got, you know, breast tenderness, if you've got moodiness, uh even if you've got irregular periods, you put on the pill to quote unquote regulate your period. Um, but that's the biggest misnomer of all because when you're actually on the pill and you come on onto say the, the placebo or what people call the sugar pills and you get a bleed, that's not actually a period. That's a hormone withdrawal bleed. So it's not regulating anything. It's just tricking you into thinking that, you're having a normal 28-day cycle. Mm. And to some girls, because um, this is what my doctors tried to get me onto and I, I said, no, thank you, but um, I I was quite old and I hadn't yet got my period, so they were going to give me the pill to like to try and like fast-track the process. And I was like, no, no, like it's okay. I'm pretty sure my body will get there eventually. Like it's just not the right time. It'll do what it needs to do. And they were like, really? Like we could just give you this pill and you could get it now. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I'll wait. But is that another story? Oh, I'm so glad that you had the presence of mind to go, I'm trusting my body in this process. If I haven't had a period yet, it's for a reason. Um, Mm. And there is no like exact age where women are supposed to get their period. Um, And a lot of women are starting to menstruate earlier or later. And it's, 
dependent on so many different things. It's dependent on body composition. It's dependent on all the hormonal changes that happen, lifestyle, sporting factors, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rach, you had like some, you know, quite serious health issues, yeah. which would have absolutely delayed menstruation in any women. So you, what your body was doing was absolutely normal. Um, when women are put on the pill in their teenage years to essentially initiate their menstrual cycle or, or menses in the first place, that's actually, as far as I'm concerned, very dangerous mm-hmm. because if they're not actually getting a proper period in the first place, then that can be setting them up for hypothalamic amenorrhea later in life. So they come off the pill and say they want to, you know, have babies or whatever it might be. And if they've never actually had a proper initiated bleed in the first place, bringing that on later in life is really hard to do. Um, And that can be quite devastating for a lot of women. So I cannot implore, you know, your listeners enough that if you, you know, are later into your teenage years and you haven't had a normal bleed yet, that's okay. And there's lots of things that you can do to help to create the hormonal state where your body can then, you know, start menstruation. But any kind of hormonal contraception will not do that job. Mm. Um, that that can be really quite devastating um, for your entire system. And think about it as well for, you know, all sorts of different reasons why women maybe don't have a period, particularly um, if there's, you know, all sorts of different stressful states going on, and that might be from, you know, particularly acute or chronic illnesses. When we're stressed out, your body thinks that you're running away from, say, a saber-tooth tiger, and you have that fight-or-flight response that's happening in your system. And one thing that happens, it's diverting the blood away from your reproductive organs because essentially baby-making at a time when you're in fight-or-flight is the least of your worries. And it's the same thing when it comes to your hormonal function ovulation as well. So when you're ovulating or in that state to potentially reproduce, that is one of the last things that's going to happen in terms of the hierarchy of healing. Yeah. So you need to be in a good, healthy state to be able to have that good hormonal switch and change throughout the month. Um, and, yeah, but yeah, I think for, for your case, a lot of what you went through in terms of your health, it would certainly um, explain a lot of things for you too. Absolutely. That's what I always think. I'm like, my body's so smart. It's like, oh, I'm not in a fit state to get pregnant now. So we'll just switch that off and we'll not start it in the first place. And yeah, and I think that's a good point. And do you reckon that's another link to the hormonal imbalances? If like, if your body's not prioritizing, balancing those hormones and making sure they're in order, things can just go a bit haywire because it's just not the first priority of survival when the body's not healthy. Definitely, definitely. Stress can stop ovulation completely. It can delay it um, and, you know, it can pretty much change any sort of hormonal state um, because some of your reproductive hormones, so, for example, estrogen and progesterone, will actually be used as building blocks for your adrenal hormones Mm -hmm. that's then used in that stress response as well. And when we typically think of stress, what we normally think is, you know, anxiety or pressure or those sorts of things. But stress also comes in the form of physical or chemical or emotional stress as well. So Mm -hmm. that can be acute or chronic versions of any of those things. So it could be underlying infections. It could be, you know, really poor gut health. It could be a whole host of different things that's contributing to that stress state that is not allowing for that um, that ovulation and that good hormonal change and balance to happen. And particularly for teenage girls as well, it is fairly normal to have a little bit of imbalance to start with because once you get this big hormonal surge, this big estrogen surge that happens for the initiation of, of menstruation, it takes your body a few months or and for some girls a couple of years to allow the system to recalibrate from that. It does take a little while for your body to get used to that big, huge change. So a little bit of irregularity initially um, is fairly normal and not really anything to be too concerned about. Very severe pain and those sorts of things is, is not normal. Um, but if you can address and change things at that age, you're setting a woman up for good hormonal health and balance for their entire lives. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you go and mask the symptoms just because of the convenience of the pill at that age, then you can be really stuffing things up from the get-go. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much. Um, could we talk about, to, you mentioned gut flora. Um, so we've talked a lot about the fact that it can have long-term effect on hormones. It can, you know, in some women, they won't actually be able to reproduce later in life, even when they come off the pill. But um, in terms of, we talk on this show nearly every week, something about the gut comes up. Um, <laughs> what does the pill do um, to our gut flora and our, and our microbiome, our gastrointestinal health? Um, that is an excellent question. And the research is starting to, oh, there's a little bit of research that kind of supports this, not a whole lot, um, but we certainly know that anecdotally the pill or any kind of hormonal contraception actually changes our gut microbiota. So it not only changes the species that we have, but the function of them as well, mm. um, which I think is really, really important. And I mean, I'm sure all of your listeners have seen the, um, you know, those Inner Health Plus ads where you've yeah. got the little bad bugs on one side of the seesaw and it might be antibiotics or the pill on the other side of the seesaw. Um, the main thing that you need to know in terms of gut health in the oral contraceptive pill is that the pill has an antibiotic-like effect mm. on your gut. So it really does completely change your entire microbial balance um, and the expression mm. of that too. And everything doesn't necessarily start in the gut, but it's so integral for your entire body yeah. and your entire health um, and, essential, and especially your hormonal function as well because your gut is where a lot of your hormones are actually synthesized and made in the first place, mm. um, which I think is really, really important to understand. Um, your detoxification capacity and regulation will alter hormonal expression too, and that's very much a gut-mediated uh, process too. Um, and the gut works very closely with the liver to regulate and detoxify any excess, you know, in particular estrogens in our system and our current sort of lifestyle and particularly with any kind of oral contraceptive pill usage is sort of bathing us in this um, synthetic versions of estrogen. So if we don't have really good gut health, we can't necessarily detoxify and eliminate all of those excess hormones and all those excess synthetic chemicals. And so then we're recycling estrogen back into our system um, through that, that sort of gut-liver access over and over and over again, which is creating even more of an estrogen-dominant um, kind of condition in our body. So not only does it affect the microbiome, but it also affects our detox capacity as well. Wow, that's that's huge. And like you said, antibiotic-like effect, at least with antibiotics, yes. we're just taking a course of them. Like the pill you're taking like all the time virtually for years and years and years on end. So that's that's quite dramatic. Um, Absolutely. What about um, nutritional status? Does the pill, um, like I know that some medications can hinder the absorption of certain nutrients or compete for absorption. Um, does the pill do anything like that? With yeah, yep. yeah, it definitely does. It certainly um, creates a an inability, or not inability, but a decreased ability to absorb absorb certain nutrients. Um, and the ones in particular are things like zinc, um, or most of your B vitamins, particularly B six, B twelve, um, and B two as well. Um, it absolutely affects your ability to um, absorb and synthesize magnesium, selenium, vitamin C, folate, oh, which is you know B as well um, and in that process along with the killing your your gut flora that also decreases your ability to actually absorb and, and synthesize or process these nutrients as well mm. um, and it also affects some of your amino acid um, production too so it absolutely does um, affect a lot of your nutrients as well, which can create a nutritional deficient state, which is what we find most commonly with women who are on the pill as well, um, mm. which also speaks to the fact that if women come off the pill, um, a lot of the time they put themselves into what we call like a post-birth control syndrome. Um, and you may not find necessarily a lot of this information in the scientific literature, but we certainly know this anecdotally, particularly with integrated medicine, is that when you're coming off the pill because of that nutrition, um, that nutrient deficiency, that that post-birth control syndrome is either hormones going completely haywire or nothing happening at all. 
um, which can be quite a tricky thing to deal with. Um, but in summary, in terms of the nutrients, it's absolutely zinc, your B vitamins, magnesium, selenium, C vitamins, um, and uh, as well as that big impact on your gut flora too. Wow. And then that's just going to further, like all those, you mentioned all those nutrients, they're all the ones that are needed for our detox pathways and our energy production. So then you look at yeah. that and so then you look at skin issues and you look at girls that are always tired and you know, would you necessarily go, oh, I'm on the pill, that's why that's happening, or I'm on the pill for my skin issues, surely they wouldn't be causing that, but, you know, you're not detoxing properly, so it's coming out in your skin, so it's like chicken or egg sort of scenario. It is absolutely that chicken or egg scenario, and I think that you need to think of that before you actually go on the pill in the first place. Was there some sort of hormonal or maybe nutrient deficiency or gut irregularity that was causing some of the hormonal problems in the first place that led you to go on the pill Mm -hmm. that then was masked by the pill? And then when you come off, all of those deficiencies or imbalances will be absolutely amplified once you come off as well. Um, And not only does it change your nutritional status, it changes a whole bunch of other things as well. And for women, um, and this is a hard thing to kind of quantify as well, but it actually changes our pheromones and it changes our preferences too. So could could you just um, um, specify for my listeners what pheromones are? Oh, so uh, the easiest way to think about that is these are our biochemical drivers, right? So this is um, something that you can't smell or see, but this is what makes us attractive or will attract us to our our mates, essentially. Um, So women have certain biological drivers that is just part of our evolutionary sort of survival status. And when we're on the pill, it actually suppresses a lot of those pheromones. And they've done really interesting studies on women who are either waitresses or strippers, which I think is absolutely hilarious. (laughs) And they're looking at um, the interaction that the opposite sex has with them if they're either on the pill or off the pill. And women who were not on the pill, particularly when they're ovulating, would get more tips and much more attention from the opposite sex (laughs) around that time, which I think is just absolutely hilarious. But it makes sense as well. it is because of that um, that biochemical drive as well. The other thing that I think is hilarious is that there's actually studies that show that women who are on the pill are much more content with less attractive mates than women who are not. <laughs> so if you come off the pill and all of a sudden you're looking at your partner going, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> I'm oh. very sorry about that. <laughs> Which I think is just, it's just a hilarious byproduct of something that is completely altering your entire biochemical makeup, including your pheromones as well. So it's changing those drivers too. Mm. Wow. Just as little, just as a little interesting tidbit there. Yeah, no, I like, and I, that is uh, so interesting. I love those sort of studies. It's like we're scientists just sitting around a table one day going, hmm, okay, so we're going to get a bunch of strippers and we're going to like, you know, like, oh, that'd be fun job there. Um, I know. And, and okay, so the last little um, point I had written down for like why should we be concerned, um, mental health. I know that you've, you and Dr. Ashley on the Wellness Women Radio have talked quite a bit about the pill and mental health. I was wondering if you could touch on that because I know that mental health, well, mental illness is rampant among um, the younger generation. Yeah, and this is, I think, probably one of the scariest side effects that comes with um, any kind of hormonal contraception. Um, And in particular, it's quite topical now because there were some very compelling studies that came out recently that showed the correlation between oral contraceptive use and depression in particular. Um, And this, I think, is really, really sad. And there's a few different factors that sort of lead to this. But if you ask any, any man who is with a woman who is on the pill, he will absolutely attest to the fact that she's crazy. And I know that sounds quite flippant. Um, no, but it, no, no, I think but it's, it's very true. It's, yeah, and a lot of women will, and sometimes, unfortunately, they get used to it. They get used to that new state of being that might be quite different to the way they were before. Um, but a lot of women will attest to the fact that when you come off the pill, um, that it's almost like a cloud lifts. And some of the reasons for that is, and if we sort of look at the nutritional deficiency as well, 
When you're depleting certain nutrients, in particular, say we take magnesium, um, one thing that the pill does is it depletes your, um, it depletes some of those essential nutrients, particularly magnesium. Magnesium is actually a precursor to serotonin. Mm. Serotonin is that feel-good, happy neurotransmitter that has been implicated in depression um, and anxiety and a few other things. So when you're changing your serotonin production and synthesization, then that's absolutely going to impact your mental health as well you know that's that's a massive thing um the stress that the pill puts on the body actually decreases your dopamine production as well and when you don't produce enough dopamine then prolactin increases so this is like quite a complicated sort of uh, biochemical pathway but when prolactin increases it decreases then progesterone and progesterone is used as a um as a building block for cortisol so that's that whole stress response that's that's impacted there so your ability to respond to stress is going to be completely different as well mm-hmm. and about 90% of your serotonin is actually made in your gut as well as you know a whole bunch of the other um, sort of mood stabilizing neurotransmitters that we make they're made in the gut so if our gut health is so poor from the bowel flora changes that are affected by the pill then of course you're not going to be able to produce and synthesize those neurotransmitters like what you should be able to so there's lots of different factors that kind of contribute to why the pill is so implicated in depression and anxiety and it's really scary to think that when women are on the pill it's actually going to exacerbate any underlying psychological issues like depression and anxiety but it can actually manifest new ones as well so if you have a history of those, if you have a history of mental illness in your family, then this is something that you really need to think about before going down this route. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. But I, and I guess like although some of the stuff you said then um, was quite complicated, what I what I was hearing out of that was that you know everything we've talked about, like hormonal imbalances, can be linked to gut flora, which can be linked to nutritional status, which then impacts mental health, which. In further impacts hormones which further impacts gut flora and like so all the body systems are related and this one pill alters all of them and absolutely yeah, yeah. So, it's um, pretty amazing yeah so at this point i might have some freaked out young listeners going uh, <laughs> what am i doing oh my gosh um can i just ask like these are all very serious um side effects they're not just like oh you might be a bit nauseous for the first week you take it sort of thing like is there a reason why doc and this is not to have a go at doctors but that girls are not counseled more or mothers um of very young girls aren't counseled more around this and given that informed consent and told all the side effects because i just don't think that there would be as many girls taking the ocp or any form of um hormone replacement sort of therapy if i suppose that can we call it oral contraception sorry contraception therapy um if they actually knew what the long-term effects were like why is that not sort of put down there oh i think that that is there's such a multifactorial sort of reason why um and Oh, I may annoy a few people here when I say this, but I think one thing is that your general practitioner may not be the best person to advise you of this in the first place. Um, you know, your GP is uh, typically, you know, your traditional GP is so short of time, so short of resources, you know, there you've got maybe like a five to seven minute appointment with them. You go in there with some sort of hormonal conditions and because the pill is just so common, I think that that's why it's so easy just to write a prescription for it. Mm. Um, the other thing is, is that they may not have actually done any further study into any kind of reproductive health. So, I mean, I have a master's degree in reproductive medicine that I did through the University of New South Wales with a class full of gynecologists and obstetricians. Um, and we did an entire, I think it was probably about 12 months just on hormonal contraception. So, your general practitioner may not be an authority on this. Okay. So they may not be the best person to actually advise you of this in the first place, which I know sounds a bit strange, but that's why doing your own research and actually thinking about these things in the first place is really, really important. Um, I think that just because it's so common, I think that's why um, they're just put on it just so so quickly and easily too, which is quite sad. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's there's so many different reasons, but I think those are a couple of a couple of the important ones. Okay, yeah, and that's fair enough. And I guess that you said some just they don't they probably don't know. They probably still think of it as this wonder pill, and it's like, well, it's safe and it's effective, and yeah, here you go, and see you later, and yeah. So it's not, uh, but yeah. yeah, you're right. So where if if there are um, girls or mothers or whoever my female audience listening and they're sort of thinking, um, I want to get off, I want to look at coming off the pill. Um, what are, like, a, 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 how can you do that? Can you just stop taking it straight away or does it have to be a weaning process? And also what can you do um, in, instead? Because obviously you, you, need to, you, can, you can't just go, I'm going to stop taking that willy-nilly. It's like, okay, but what am I going to do instead? Do you have any tips there? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I wouldn't necessarily recommend coming off the pill straight away Mm -hmm. and I would definitely encourage you to work with a practitioner if there were underlying hormonal problems in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, There can be a bit of a process to essentially trying to support your system so that when you do stop that hormonal contraception or that hormonal input, it's not as big a shock to your body because, like I said previously, you want to avoid that post-birth control syndrome as much as physically possible. Um, And what we usually find is that Things will go completely haywire or nothing happens whatsoever. Um, so there are some things that you can do to really boost your nutritional status before coming off. Um, and then I definitely wouldn't suggest, you know, stopping halfway through your pill. Maybe um, one of the easiest things to do is actually to stop once you get to the, um, like the sugar pills or the placebo pills um, as we call them. Um, or if you say you have the implant on once it's ready to come out, once that hormone has weaned off, then that could be a good time. Um, however, if it really is causing issues for you, work with your practitioner to come off it sooner because I would absolutely encourage you to do that. Um, but definitely speak to someone who is really well versed on this that can guide you through that and give you support along the way. And in terms of alternatives, this really depends on a woman's lifestyle, what her, say, relationship status is what, and, you know, her health and a whole bunch of other things. Um, in terms of avoiding pregnancy, uh, for women who have really well-balanced hormones, say they're in a well-committed relationship um, and they're not concerned about um, – Oh, you know, say using protection as as lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, then there's uh, something that they could look into called the Billings method or natural fertility methods, um, where it's essentially charting your cycle, avoiding the times when a woman is most fertile, um, and then you know ensuring that, that there's like sort of safe zones within the period. Now, that is a topic all into itself. It's a little bit complicated, um, and you really need to know your cycle very well to be able to go into that um, so make sure that if that's something that you're wanting to do that you're very well versed on how to do it um, and you're working with a practitioner as well that can guide you along the way and can teach you how to chart your cycle really well um, alternatively um, think about a different goalie for again for lack of <laughs> for lack of a better word so um, the condoms are still so effective it's not only going to protect you from you know unplanned pregnancies but stis as well for the most part which i just think is awesome um if people have problems with latex there's certainly non-latex versions of that too um diaphragms are you know sound a little bit old school but are still very effective at avoiding unwanted pregnancy um so i definitely encourage women with that uh and there's also the copper iud or intrauterine device this has one of the highest levels of satisfaction for women um who are using that type of contraception um it is a non-hormonal version it can create some issues though so if you do have heavy painful periods already this is going to make that worse um copper in the body for too long can then mimic estrogen as well so it can lead to some other hormonal issues down the track Um, but it can be a good short-term solution for some women Uh, so there's a few different things that you can look at there but i would definitely suggest the listeners look into the billingsley method or natural fertility methods Um, definitely consider using condoms and diaphragms um, or the copper iud um, if appropriate Thank you. That's a really good summary. Um, now, I know that you said you do only had 45 minutes. Now, it is coming up to that. So, are you okay to keep going for a little bit? Yeah, or, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, um, just to 
one last thing. So we talked about the contraception. Um, yes. The so alternative methods of balancing hormones. You've met, keep, you keep mentioning um, that, you know, there's lots of things that girls can do to, to balance their hormones and da-da-da. Like, could you, in a nutshell, just what sorts of things would you look at if you know if you, know you have hormonal imbalances? Where would you start in terms of oh. natural ways of getting them back on track? And if you think that's a whole other episode, we can totally <laughs> do that. Um, but if there's a few yeah, dots. Yeah, yeah. If there's a few dot points you um, could give. Totally. Um, look, this is a big topic because there's so many different variations of hormonal imbalances and so many different causes and what that imbalance might look like. Um, but just as a few like key factors, what the first and foremost, you need to get your stress under control and you know, that might sound um, <laughs> cliche to a lot of people, um, but stress is the number one cause of hormonal imbalances. So looking at whatever form that is for you and starting to put things into place to lessen its burden on your body is a really, really good idea. Um, so whether or not that is some sort of meditative practice, um, some mindfulness practice, just taking some time out for yourself, um, whatever works for you in terms of your stress reduction is a really great thing. And I think women really need to work on giving that idea of perf- giving up on that idea of perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we place so much pressure on ourselves all the time, um, but you know, ditching or, or quitting perfection I think is probably a really good idea, and that is one thing that's going to help to um, stop that, uh, what I like to call the robbing Peter to pay Paul effect. So stopping your body from using all of your reproductive hormones to then go and make more stress hormones. Mm. Um, So that's number one. So get your stress under control. The second one is sleep. If you are not sleeping well and you're not prioritizing sleep, then there's no way that you can make and synthesize good quality hormones, particularly when we're teenagers. It is so essential because that's when we're making all amazing things like human growth hormone, and this is the time when we're really trying to regulate that cycle too. Um, So I like to encourage all my patients to join the 10 p.m. club. Mm -hmm. So in bed by 9.30 to be asleep by 10. You need at least seven to eight hours of sleep at a minimum each night. Um, and I know that there's a whole bunch of people that go, oh, no, I can survive on four hours. It's simply not true. There's about 6% of the population that have the genetic predisposition that allow them to function on less sleep, but that's only 6% of the population. So most people need a minimum of seven to eight hours a night. Um, so that is going to really help. So working on your stress, prioritize sleep. Um, one thing is upgrade your nutrition. So... Yeah. Getting rid of the sugar and the processed carbohydrates is going to really, really help to improve your gut function as well. Sugar is such an inflammatory thing for your body, which is going to predispose you to things like endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is really to do with that that blood sugar regulation as well. Um, So ditching the sugar, and we won't go into ways doing that. Because no, no, no. I can do that on another episode. Yeah. That is fine. Um, yeah, but, but ditching the sugar is really going to help. Um, oh, what else? Uh, really upgrading your nutritional status, not just with food as well, because if you do have some hormonal imbalances, you may need some very good practitioner-quality prescription-only supplementation. And as a place to start, I would recommend a really good magnesium, B vitamins, and some powerful probiotics as well. Um, just as a start, um, yeah. and going. To, oh, sorry, I was going to yeah. say going to like a um, clinical nutritionist or naturopath to get the right prescription for you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So working with someone who has a bit of an understanding of hormones and, and functional um, sort of medicine as well is is a really good um, place to start. Um, and I'm sure your listeners um, would be able to get in contact with you to sort of get recommendations or referrals for those sorts of things. Absolutely. Um, I've even done episodes yeah. on that sort of stuff before. So, yeah, I think awesome. they're, they're on top of that already. Um, Fabulous. And one other thing that I would suggest is that – you actually prioritize spending time with your girlfriends. Yay. So um, one of my favorite quotes is that if you're a man and you want to improve your health, you marry a good woman. Whereas if you're a woman and you want to improve your health, you need to spend time with your girlfriends. <laughs> and there's such a beautiful change in your body and change in your stress response when you actually prioritize that and spend good quality time with beautiful women. Uh, so, you know, if nothing else, that's going to help all of those factors too. Beautiful. Thank you. That's that's a really good little summary. And I'm, um, maybe even I could get you on again and we could go 
further down that rabbit hole or I could do that with Dr. Ashley at some yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. It is, I think it's very important. I don't want to rush over it, but I also don't want to take up any more of your time. And I think we've given probably my listeners enough to think about and maybe given them ideas to go do further research. Um, Definitely. I, I will just pause the recording now so I can say goodbye to you and let you go and then I'll do a good summary just because um, I appreciate that we've gone over time a little bit and I do know you need oh, to get no off. Worries. Okay, guys, it's just me now. I had to let um, Dr. Andrea go because she, um, I think she had like an appointment or a client to get to. And I thought, oh, you know, I can do the summary myself. Um, But we were very lucky to have her. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I loved recording it. Um, Yeah, I just think this is such an important topic. Um, Not to demonize the pill because you might go, but Rach, the pill has like saved me. I was, you know, my life was hell before it. I had so much pain or, you know, I lived in fear of getting pregnant and this has like saved me and I do not want to discount any of that. But I just think it is so important that us as women or young girls, women, um, that we understand that just the impact that this is having on our entire body, you know. So just just to summarize, you know, Yes, the pill can empower us and it can in, you know, 98, 99% of cases prevent pregnancy. Um, and it can also, um, I suppose, mask the symptoms of hormonal imbalances and give us some recuperation and some relief from that. But we need to, we really need to understand that it's, you know, not just as simple as I'm taking the pill now, but you know, if I want to come off next month or in two months or in a few years time, everything will go back to normal. It, it doesn't work that way. It's altering our hormones. Um, and you know, there is that chance that we're not, it's not going to be easy to get them back on track and we may never get them back on track. And that is, that's not to scare you, but to say that's a, that's a real circumstance that you might've not been warned about. We always talk about the gut on this show and the fact that it can have such a huge impact on not only the types of bacteria in the gut, but also the function of them. And therefore, you know, go on to hinder nutrient absorption, detoxification capacity, the fact that it does reduce our absorption of nutrients. So then we have impaired energy production. We have impaired detoxification. We have, you know, the impaired hormonal production. We won't deal deal with stress properly. We won't recover from infections, coughs, colds. You know, our immunity will be poor. We won't recover that as well just because our nutrient status is down. Because remember I say all the time that every single process in the human body requires nutrition to work. Like that's just nothing in the body happens without nutrients lending their hand to make it all happen and come together. So we might, you know, I know nutrition is all very um, pretty and glorified at the moment and it's like, oh, hashtag green smoothies sort of thing. I'm not having a go at that hashtag. I think I've used it. Um, But, you know, we, you know, it's all, nutrition is in vogue at the moment, but you know, nutrients govern the body. If without nutrients, nothing is going to happen. And we need to understand that it's not just this optional thing that it's like, oh, that's nice. It's like, if there is something that's hindering our nutritional status or we're not eating right, or our gut function isn't right, that is going to impact on every single cell in the body. And I just really want to drill that home so that you don't just go, oh, I'm getting a bit deficient in magnesium, but it doesn't matter. It does matter. You know, we, just I pulled magnesium as an example because it was the example Dr. Andrea gave. You know, without magnesium, there's a whole lot of stuff in the body that cannot happen, and or at least it can't happen efficiently. Um, and then that impact on mental health. You know, a house. I, I don't know. Are you listening? Are you on antidepressants and the pill? Did you go on to antidepressants after? You know, after you were on the pill for like a year, two years, three years. You know, did the mental um, illness side of things only come on since starting the pill? Again, not to demonize the pill, but to go, it could have been that. And we, you know, I just really wanted to do this episode to start this conversation to go, have we thought about this? Or have we just sort of thought, I am now sexually active or, you know, I'm thinking of becoming sexually active or... I get really painful periods and this is what my doctor told me to do and I'm doing it. And are we doing it without knowing all of the ramifications? So... Um, yeah, that's in summary and just knowing, yeah, like maybe, um, listening back. So, you know, rewinding and listening back to some of those alternatives that Dr. Um, Andrea talked about as well. So, you know, obviously condoms and diaphragms and then, um, you know, tracking, you know, all those natural ways of tracking your cycle. Now that is going to be a lot easier if you've got a regular cycle. If you've got an irregular cycle, that's not going to be 
all that practical because um, you, you're not going to be able to predict or track things. So you can't go, yeah, this is always the, these are always the de- times I ovulate because it could be different every month. Um, but again, that would probably indicate that you need to work with a practitioner to, um, to get your period back to being regular. Cause you know how I always talk about poo and how, you know, your poo, your daily poo, if you look in the loo and you look at, you know, the state of your feces, um, that's a great indicator of your current state of health. So how are you digesting your food, your transit time, um, the levels of bacteria in your gut? It's sort of um, that sort of thing. If you, you know, if you're going every day, that's a good sign that, you know, your gut's pretty much in check. Um, you know, if it's, if you listen to, I think, episode seven, we actually talked about, you know, the ideal things to look for in a poo. Um, it's the same with your period. If your period's on point and your, you know, your menstrual cycle is regular and there's not pain or um, there's not really that much, if any, PMS sort of symptoms going on, that's a good sign that your hormone hormones are balanced and you're in a really healthy state. So um, yeah, there's like if yeah, you'd want to get that looked into if it wasn't like that. And when um, Dr. Andrea talked about oh, going to see a practitioner and I know we mentioned well your GP might not be the most perfect person to go to some GPs um, especially not to be sexist but women GPs might actually have a particular interest in reproductive medicine especially if they're integrative GPs and in that case totally go to them they're probably going to be an expert in it um, but yeah just do general run-of-the-mill general practitioner it's not their fault I think I definitely don't want to do doctor bashing here um, and neither was Dr. Andrew that neither of us are coming from that place. It's just, I think in society, we've come to see our general practitioners as the be all and end all of medicine. Any single symptom we could have, we go to them for. And the poor things, how can they, they're human. I think we actually forget sometimes the doctors are human. They can't know absolutely everything in detail. They can know most things on a surface level and then have their few areas that they really, you know, that they see all the time. So they're quite well versed in, but they can't know everything. And they are so busy and overworked that they don't always have a lot of the time to keep up to date with, you know, side effects and research and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, if you're um, a young woman or a mother of a young woman and you or your daughter have um, menstrual irregularities, you know, pain, all that sort of stuff, you know, going, seeking out either a holistic nutritionist um, and, you know, you can call up the clinic, the clinician or the, the receptionist at the clinic rooms if it's part of a multimodal practice and actually ask, you know, do they have, do they have a decent background in hormonal health? Because, you know, some will specialize in the area and some will, you know, might be more gastrointestinal function. Some might be more autoimmune function um, sort of thing. So just, you know, or um, if, if not a clinical nutritionist or holistic nutritionist, um, a naturopath um, or someone like Dr. Ashley, who's an integrative chiropractor, but also did, um, you know, women's reproductive medicine as as a separate degree. You know, someone like that is going to be the most perfect person to guide you. Obviously, you're the you're the empowered patient. It's always at the end of the day, the decision to do anything, to take anything, to do any sort of method is going to be up to you. But you deserve you and your hormones deserve to be going to someone that has the best level of information um, around this topic. So I really hope that, yeah, that, like I said, that you, that this episode has opened up your mind and um, made you maybe question what you're doing and just educated you on some of the effects of this tiny little pill that I think we just take for granted sometimes and don't often think about. Um, I'm pretty sure that I will be getting Dr. Andrea or her um, co-host on her podcast, The Wellness Women Radio, Dr. Ashley, back on to delve a bit deeper into um, hormones, um, maybe what a, you know, maybe talk a bit more about periods if you don't really understand what's going on there, Um, you know, talk about ways of optimizing your diet for balancing um, hormones. I could probably do that one with my, um, you know, because I'm almost qualified as a nutritionist myself. So I will definitely be bringing you more information around this topic. Um, In the meantime, I'd really recommend Dr. Andrea and Dr. Ashley's 
podcast, Wellness Women Radio, which you can find on the Wellness Couch website or on um, iTunes. And um, it's particularly any episodes they've done. All of them are fantastic, but they have done a few on hormones and um, fertility and contraception. And I think that would be a great, if you've loved this episode and you're thirsty for more knowledge, that would be um, a starting point. Also, um, if you Google Dr. Nat Kringudis, so um, Dr. Nat, N-A-T, and Kringudis, K-R-I-N-G-O-U-D-I-S, um, she's a natural fertility expert from Melbourne, and her website um, also has a lot of information um, on this topic as well. So until next fortnight, um, yeah, keep questioning, keep um, researching, or alternatively just sit with this information, maybe listen to this um, episode a few times, take some notes, you know, maybe plan what you're, you know, if you want to take action, plan what it is you're going to do, talk to your friends about it, share this episode around, get that conversation started. And um, if you haven't liked the Facebook page already, please head on over to all the w's.facebook.com forward slash real soup for the real soul, uh, which is the Facebook page for my blog and my podcast. Um, subscribe to the show on iTunes if you haven't already, just that way you don't even have to think about it each, um, every second Friday, it just will automatically download for you. If you are feeling particularly generous and have the time, you might want to give me a five star rating or whatever star rating you feel is unworthy of. Um, you might want to leave a review. Um, and if you want to contact me at all, give me any feedback about the podcast or about the blog, or you have any questions, or you just want to say hi, please send me a message, a private message on the Facebook page. I always respond to them and I love hearing from you. Yeah. And until next fortnight, be well, don't be scared of the pill, just be empowered to ask questions about it and reconsider whether it's the best option for you. This episode certainly isn't to tell you to stop taking your medication. It's just to give you this other side that maybe you haven't been exposed to yet. Um, Okay, goodbye, lovely ones. I will catch you next fortnight. See you later. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.